here with me. Doesn't she look beautiful tonight? And I asked her to sit up here. Uh, in fact, I asked her to help me teach this lesson tonight. And uh, I think that if Sister Grant and I could have had enough time to have spent uh, uh, together, we would have joined together in a session teaching. So I promise you that after we come back from the General Conference on Thursday evening, Sister Grant and I will share a session, and she'll be talking to our women who are very precious indeed right here in this session with, uh, with all of us here. Sometimes it's good for the men to hear what the women have to say to the women. Isn't that right? Now, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to James, the second chapter. A passage of Scripture that we have discussed in three or four recent sessions, I will use as a foundation for the beginning of our lesson. And, of course, it deals with faith faith and works. And uh, verse 20 of James 2, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? Since thou have faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. Now notice what it says, by works was faith made perfect. Then the very last verse of chapter 2, verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And you may be seated. Now, Praise God. We talked last week to our ladies, and as I had stated before, we've been doing a lot of counseling. I do not consider this to be a weakness in any couple, nor a weakness in their relationship when they seek counseling. In fact, I think it denotes a strength of theirs it does tell me that they are definitely interested in having the best marriage they can possibly have. And so we talked to the ladies, and we promised to talk to the men. Tonight, however, I'm going to stick with the, the subject that deals with the ladies. And the reason why that I feel that I need to do this, because this past week, a good number have of questions have been asked me by newer people in the church relative to some of the standards of dress and such of our Pentecostal ladies. Now, while I understand that we have guests here who may not agree or adhere to what I will say, I certainly do not speak what I speak to be offensive, nor do I say what I say to 
Thank you, Brother Getz. To put any particular person on the spot. So when all of this is over, uh, we're going to shake everybody's hand and we're going to be happy. And if you're here as a guest, naturally we don't want you to feel out of place. Simply because that the pastor preached something that you do not agree with or something that you do not live by. Now, what I wanted to do in this message is first start out in James, the second chapter. I think it's a very fitting chapter. Last week we talked about a husband-wife relationship. Basically, we talked about the chain of command, how that uh, there was God and then Christ, and uh, then, of course, the husband, the wife, and the children. We talked about spiritual leaders and their proper place in the kingdom of God and also government officials. Now, I am fairly fundamental in my belief in this area. I believe that Christians should be God-fearing people. I also believe that they should obey the laws of the land, and if they are intentionally breaking laws, I think that they should strive to uh, subside from such a practice. I think also that if they're disrespectful to government officials and uh, people in positions, then they are out of the will of God. Now, I just feel that way. I do not believe the president of a nation should be spoken lightly about while you may not agree with him uh, I think that the Bible teaches us to pray for the kings while he's not a king nevertheless I think the vernacular used in the Bible and the tenor of the subject is applicable to that particular position while we do not have a land in which we have slaves or servants the Bible gives uh, definite uh, uh, behavioral patterns and such that they should fall into in order to classify themselves as Christian. So we transpose that to employee-employer relationships. You go hire out to someone, you should try your best to do a good job and please them. They also, as an employer, if you are an employer, you should try your very best to treat them in uh, utmost and due respect. Now, I stated the chain of command, and of course we talked about the, the woman, the Christian woman, according to the Scripture, and some of the things that she uh, should do in order to feel that... Uh, uh, she is in her Bible position at the same time where she feels that she has fulfilled the will of God and that her calling in God is not limited due to the position that she's in. You know, basically when we look at a chain of command, most of us think that somebody is really making out and somebody is really getting... Uh, you know, the brunt of the deal. Somebody is really superior and doing good, and somebody is suffering. And that's not the concept of the Scripture at all. It really isn't. Now, we talked about the Christian lady. I have taken a lesson from 
my stewardship lessons, which some of you have not heard and some of you have, and I want to teach it tonight. It was interesting, after I had made uh, the consideration to teach this particular subject, that I went and pulled out some material that I received uh, some time ago on Bible studies. I pulled out a Bible study, a portion of a Bible study, that is given by Bill Gothard at the basic youth conflicts. Now, some of you have attended this this seminar. How many of you have been to this seminar? Do we have anybody here that has? Uh, maybe we don't have anybody that's been. Uh, Brother Gillum, didn't you and Sister Gillum go one time with uh, Mike and Joy? I've been to uh, the minister's seminar, but not this particular seminar, but they give you this, this material. So I went and pulled it out, and... Uh, uh, I began to look at this, and I, I called Sister Grant's attention to this. I said, I want to show you something. Now, Bill, Bill Gothard is a, is a, a dyed-in-the-wool Baptist, okay? Now, if you're a guest of ours and you're a Baptist, that's not to say that, uh, that uh, uh, the teaching's no good that he gives. In fact, I'm going to give you something I think is very complimentary uh when we look through this he talks about a woman talks about her position in the family her position in society and such and then he goes on to say that there are two definite ways in which uh her character and her attitude is displayed now this is uh i had never read this before but that's exactly what our study is all about but he says that the woman's hair is a symbol of her attitude. And then the other area that he covers, he said uh, the way she dresses symbolizes her agreement to her husband's authority, to his taste, his standards, provisions and such. And uh, there's some good material here. In fact, I'd like to cover some of this. I, uh, when we get back, well, maybe Sister Grant and I will cover some of this with you. We're not ashamed to tell you where it came from. But I think it's just very fundamental. One of the better tapes that I've heard on the dress codes of a woman, and by the way, men have dress codes too, according to Scripture. We just will not be getting into that at this time. But one of the best messages I've heard is by Dr. Jack Hiles, who is a pastor of the First Baptist Church in Hammond, Indiana. Now, Brother Hiles is a very straightforward, hard-hitting Baptist preacher. Uh, it really is. I mean, he really does preach it hard. Now, a lot of people think that, that to preach uh, messages like I'm referring to tonight would drive a lot of people away. Away, but of course, Jack Hiles. At least I have read that he has the largest uh, church in America. Now, there we got some large churches in America, but in uh, recent uh, three services, I gave the statistics on this about a year or two ago. But now this is a, a more current one. But in three services, two on Sunday morning and one on Sunday night. The combined total of attendance in the three services went 
to 101,000 people. So if you think you know that he's preaching to a handful of people, you know you're mistaken because that's over 33,000 per service. So that gives you an idea. That's a lot of people. A lot of people. But he has a tape, and I have the tape in my office, and it's entitled Unisex. And it would be good for you, if you have not heard it, to to get it from me and take a uh, listen to it. Now, he's got some very valid things. There are certain things that are happening in our present day that are very carefully designed by the devil to destroy the family unit that ultimately will destroy a nation. And, of course, it's designed to send people to hell. Now, what we want to do, we want to get in the Bible and stay in the Bible. Now, what James is saying about faith, faith is something that's inside of you. It's internal. And, of course, works is external, or works are external. Now, you cannot see faith except how it is manifested in your works. And if you read the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it's called the faith chapter of the Bible. It says, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Noah, by faith. And, of course, it mentions the works of each of the great men or women of faith. Now, what he's saying is that the body without uh, the spirit is dead. When the spirit or when life leaves the body, uh, then the body is dead. And death literally means separation. That's what it means, that a separation has indeed occurred. So as a result, then uh, you have a lifeless body. And, uh, and, of course, decay and such will set in as a result. Now, what he's also saying is that, that uh, or he's, he's taking your faith. He says, now, faith, being alone without works is dead. He said, you show me your faith. Without your works. I show you my faith by my works. Well, first place, you cannot show faith except by works. See, that's the logic of it. So when you say, you show me your faith without your works, you got a man that's standing there doing nothing, and he's trying to display his faith. See, you know, you haven't shown anybody anything, and even to God. Now, while it's very important that we understand that, that what is inside of us must determine what is on the outside of us. I also understand that it is possible that uh, you can fall into the role of a hypocrite and do things externally when you don't feel inside of your heart that it's really the right thing to do. Now, the two areas that I plan on talking to you about tonight are found in the Bill Gothard study on the basic youth conflicts and as I stated before, I was really amazed at as, as how close his lesson was to ours. Because the truth of the matter is, while we have mentioned the, the, the denomination Baptist here, this is not an overwhelming accepted policy among the Baptist people. And this is the reason why that I've mentioned uh, his denomination and also the denomination of of Jack Hiles at First Baptist Church in Hammond. Now, 
When you look in the Bible, you will find that there is a lot said in the Bible relative to a woman and how she should dress and and uh, so forth and so on. We'll just start with 1 Corinthians 11, dealing with the question of the hair. And we will not give you an extensive Bible study on this tonight because it would take us all of our session. And we do not plan on on going into the uh, entire question of hair. But uh, if you will notice what happens in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. Now notice what he says. Keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. Now the reason why is because a lot of the practices of the New Testament church was based upon tradition. And it was also based upon an interpretation of the law that was taken totally out of context. When Jesus was here, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath. His question that he asked the Pharisees who accused him, he said, now was man made for the Sabbath or was the Sabbath made uh, for man? And so the question was settled uh, on, on the question that Jesus asked. Does a man become, are laws made for men or men made for laws? Well, laws are made for men. Men are not made for laws. See, you don't just bring children into the world just so they can can fulfill a law. It's just that they're brought in the world and then there has to be some government placed upon their activities when they will not live the way that they ought to live. So the law is for the lawless. That's what the Bible says. Okay, now he said, You keep the ordinances as I delivered unto you. But I would have you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all one, as if she were shaven. For if a woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head... For as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of the man. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is the woman without, neither is the man without the woman, neither is the woman without the man in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Judge in yourself, it is comely that a woman pray to God uncovered. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given her for covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God." Now, the thing about verse 16, he does not say that we don't have a custom like this. But uh, 
if you will go to other translations, what he's saying, we do not have a custom to be contentious over this particular thing here. And that's why he said, you keep the ordinances as I delivered them unto you. And, of course, he goes over this. Now, he's basically talking about a chain of command. And what he's saying is that a woman's hair is given to her as a symbol of her attitude toward her husband. And this is the reason why, that she has long hair. She is under her husband's authority. And, of course, this was not designed to penalize the woman, nor to make her feel that she is a slave in a household. But this is to give her proper God-given recognition. So the inner feeling that she has, the inner attitude that she has relative to her husband is displayed outwardly. Her inner faith becomes a part of her outward uh, work. And so as a result, she has long hair. Now, I definitely believe he's talking about long hair, and I think he's talking about uncut hair because there are three ways in which he explains hair. He, he, he talks about shorn hair, which is cut hair. He talks about shaven hair, which is removed by all the way down to the skin with a sharp instrument. And then he talks about long hair. Now, if long hair is not uncut hair, then there wouldn't be any difference in the shorn and the long. But the shorn simply means that it's cut or clipped with scissors or some sharp instrument. Shaven is removed altogether, and long has to be, by the process of elimination, interpreted as mean being uncut hair. For this reason, our Pentecostal ladies do not cut their hair. Now, I would like to say this. It is possible for a woman not to be under the proper submission to her husband and yet let her hair grow long. Now, I can just throw this in for what it's worth. But if you fit in that category and you have long hair and yet you do not submit yourself to your husband, in the eyes of God, honey, you might as well shave your head. It's just that plain. Because the outward symbol without the inner attitude does not count. And if you don't believe that, then you read what Jesus said to the Pharisees. See? And we want to make sure that in Pentecost that people do fully understand what it's all about. Because it is possible to have a whole organization of ladies who do not cut their hair that do not fulfill the Bible role. See? That's possible. And God forbid that it would ever happen here at Calvary Gospel Church. Now, when we have more time, and we will have more time, I'll assure you, when we have more time, we will cover this subject in greater detail. Now, I do have a book in my office entitled The Long and Short of It. It's by Daniel C. Graves, and it is a very good book. And for you ladies, and you men also, who have not given a whole lot of thought to the subject, then it would be wise for you to read the book. If we have a great demand for it, and please, after service, don't ask me for that book, okay? And the reason why is because I have to leave soon after service, 
And, uh, but we will get a good supply of those if we have a demand for them. But uh, we are all interested in doing what the Bible tells us to do. Now, I think one of the greater problems of the charismatic movement is this, that the charismatic movement largely uh, is dominated by uh, spiritual gifts, prophesying and speaking in tongues and interpreting of those tongues. Now, you may say, well, what is the... What's, what's wrong with that? Well, first place, I don't believe that spiritual gifts were designed to run a church, but secondly, they are run in many, many cases by women who prophesy, speak in tongues, and interpret in the sanctuaries that are not qualified to do so. Now, you may say, why? Because the Bible says, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. And, of course, her head is talking about her husband here. It's not talking about she dishonors this head, her head, the authority over. And you may say, well, what if she does not have a husband? She definitely has a father someplace. And maybe he's not even saved, but it still shows honor to him. And it shows her submission to him. If, if her father is not uh, alive and... And uh, she does not have a husband. She has spiritual leaders. See? And if she's living off someplace where there's not even any spiritual leaders, she does have a God. See? Now, there are certain things. Please understand. I believe that men ought to have their hair cut. And they ought to have it cut short. And, of course, this is a symbol of his faith to God. The inner attitude is displayed in the outer works that he has. Okay, so this is basically what's talk, what the Scripture is talking about. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, and we'll not have time to get in all of this, but I'll give you just a brief uh, explanation. 1 Corinthians 14, spiritual gifts are explained. Verse 34, it says, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's a shame for a woman to speak in the church. Well, first place, he's already said over here that it's all right. And, of course, uh, this is talking about when they all come together and they prophesy. He's already said it's all right for a woman to prophesy and to pray if she has her head covered. Now, it sounds then like he's turning around and saying, but now it's a shame for a woman to even speak in the church. Now, the clincher in all this is, notice verse 36. He says, what, question mark, came the word of God out from you? In other words, what he's saying is, that didn't come out of the Scripture. What you're saying, that didn't come out of the Scripture. He said, that came out of you. All right? Or came it unto you only. Now, notice what, notice what he says. Now, he, he says that there are to be under obedience as also saith the law. And he goes on and quotes their interpretation of the law. Now, that was their interpretation. This was Paul's way of putting it. And he says, what came the word of God out from you? What? Question mark. In other words, he, he questions the statement he just made. He says, now, is that really right? He said, no, that came out of you. 
that didn't come out of the law. And for this reason, God has always used godly women, providing their attitude was the way that a woman's attitude ought to be. See? Now notice what he goes on to say. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now that's what he was saying back over here in chapter 11. He said, you keep the ordinances as I deliver them unto you. Why? Because they, were, they had a big thing going there in Corinth. See, some of the ladies evidently were wanting to prophesy and pray, and they weren't wanting to be submissive in their particular role. And as I said, both the man and the wife were to be submissive. But uh, the, the levels upon which it's displayed are certainly different. But uh, evidently then they, they, they got the men got it under control, and they suppressed it too far. And they were interpreting, now, if she learns anything, unless... Let her ask her husband home. It's a shame for her to speak in the church. Well, first place, that the law never states that. Uh, there was not even a church in, under the law. The church in the wilderness. It's called the church in the wilderness. But the, the, the first place the word church was used in the entire Bible is in Matthew 18. So they didn't have services back under the law like we're having services. But nevertheless... He says, now, if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Now, he goes on to say, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. In other words, if you, if you excel not to listen and just be ignorant, then you're going to suffer. Okay? Now, wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, the reason why Paul stuck that at the very end, he started over here in chapter 11 with that. And what he was saying is that, hey, there is a proper way in which both men and women can be used in the service of the Lord. See? So, verse 34 through the remaining verses there of chapter 14, I just don't think it's saying what most people says that it says. And the reason why is because he has already said that if a woman prays or prophesies with her head covered, she shows honor to her head. Now, while my wife, as far as I know, has never prophesied, now, I know my wife, I know her well, and I know many, many Christian ladies in this assembly that I think would be qualified to prophesy or to speak with tongues and interpret. See? And I think that's what he's saying. That, uh, wait, you're penalizing a woman simply because that Eve sinned in the garden. And you're looking upon the women as if they're some kind of a piece of trash. And that's not right. And I had my wife to sit up here because I do not feel that there is a woman in this world that's more godly than Darlene Grant. And I, I think that she is a very good example for any lady in this church who would like to, to seek a pattern or a model in which they could, they could follow. Now, I say that without any reservations. 
And like I say, I, my, my wife has not been used in spiritual gifts that I know of, at least not in these. Now, I know of times in which the Lord gave her words of wisdom. I've, I've had times in which she called me aside and she said, you know what the Lord told me? And I said, well, hon, I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. And sure enough, it, it turned out to be exactly like she said. See? But I think her inner faith and attitude is displayed in the way in which she fixes her hair. And, and uh, my wife doesn't have real long hair. And uh, some of you ladies who have hair that is the length that it's at because that you cut it some time ago. Some of you, even before you came into church, your hair's not grown real long as a result of it being cut real short before you came in. But see, my, my wife's hair is not as long as some of yours, and you're wanting yours to get longer. And I consider hers to be long hair because it has not been cut, see. And I think long hair is uncut hair. Now, you will find that a thing that is, there is a, there is a particular chain, uh, a channel that runs throughout the Scripture. And once you get on this, you can, you can find the philosophy of the tenor of God Himself. You know, God has certain ways in which He speaks, certain ways in which He thinks. Now, if I understand the Scripture correctly, when you look at Romans 1, and you study the chapters in Genesis that deal with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, there is one sin that God hates vehemently, and that is perversion. And so as a result, God has intentionally, down through the years, done everything that He could in His law to keep the sexes separated. And you see, that's what he's doing here in the Scripture. Now, what i like to do, just leave the subject right here for a moment. And let's look in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, the 22nd chapter. And, and we will look at a passage of Scriptures that deals with the law of separation. I trust that we'll have time to finish in our allotted uh, time. I'd hate to be the one that laid the law down tonight and then go over time the first first time. Wouldn't that be terrible? <clears throat> of course, please keep in mind that I am the pastor and I won't be here for a week and a half or so. Now, I don't know if that sounds le legitimate or not. But anyway, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 22, you will find that the law of brotherhood is given. And then, of course, uh, this is all dealing with the law of separation. Uh, verse verse uh, uh, 5 says, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. Now, you see, this business about garments to start with was God's idea. Was it not? Uh, Adam and Eve, when they were made by God, Adam was made from the dirt of the of the ground of the soil, and uh, Eve was made from his his body. And so, when they were made, they were made innocent, and they were made naked. It was 
after their sin that they themselves became guilty of their nakedness. Did that not happen? God didn't go by and say, hey, you need to put on some clothes. No, the Bible says in the day they sinned, that they sinned, their eyes would, were opened. And they knew good from bad, and they saw that they were naked. Now, the thing about it is, as far as I can see in the Scripture, it's always okay for a husband and wife to be in that position if they're in privacy. But you, And there was nobody else on the earth. But you see, God put a conscience in them. And he established a pattern of wearing clothes even before Adam and Eve had children or anybody else in the world to see them naked. Isn't that something? And so when God drove them out of the garden, of course, if you turn back with me to Genesis, the third chapter, you'll find something very, very important in the reading of the Scripture. The Bible says in verse 16, it says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shalt thou bring forth children. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. All right? And Adam said, in other words, he established the chain of command. Now, because you know good and evil, somebody's got to be the boss. And so he said, well, Adam, we'll let you be the boss because, you know, you just can't have a cooperation. Uh, you just can't have an institution. You can't have a group of people working together without somebody being the leader. That's what he's saying. And, of course, the purpose of government, according to the Scripture, is for peace. Instead of Jesus, of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So government and peace are kindred. Okay? Peace is a byproduct of government. All right? And then, of course, he said uh, unto Adam, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of the wife, has eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I told you that it's commanded in the Scripture that a man work. And did you know that, that a man out working and making a living for his family is a symbol? It is a, it is a work of his inner attitude and faith to the headship that's over him. See? So the, while we may consider the women to be extremely limited, please understand that all of this came about as a result of sin in the world. But you see, if our attitude's right, it's not designed to penalize us. But in this law, we find liberty. In the law of God, there's liberty. All right, and of course, thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. Now notice this. Then, verse 20, Adam called his wife's name Eve. Do you know that before Adam and Eve sinned, they both had the same name? And Eve did not have the name Eve until after their sin. All right? Now, the Bible says, because she was the mother of all living. Now, notice what, what happened in verse 21. And unto Adam also and his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe them. 
In other words, God established the principle and the separation of sexes himself. He didn't allow them to make garments out of fig leaves and wear them around. And I would assume that if they had a conscience and they realized that they were naked, their garments made out of fig leaves would be a whole lot more modest than some of those made out of things that they're made out of today. Because at least they had a conscience and they were doing it for conscience sake. But you can certainly stroll downtown on a hot day, go by any beach where you're fishing or whatever, and, and there, listen, there are ladies and men alike that you could take a yard of material and you could make a whole family's worth of garments. Isn't that true? Really. But you see, God says, I'm going I'm to show you how to do this. And God says, I will take and kill the animal, and I will dress you, and I'll dress you, and, and we will establish the pattern the way that I feel that it ought to be established. Now, when God says here in verse 22 of Deuteronomy, He said, The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. For all that do so are an abomination. Now, the word abomination is used. Now, if you know anything about uh, the vernacular found in the Bible, you will know that the word abomination is a word that is used in which it describes the absolute uh, disgust of God. Now, read it. Search it out. Something that that God detests, he, he, he can't get it out of his system. And he says, now, they that do so are an abomination of the Lord. Now, I know that what you will say is, or what a lot of people say, they said, but, but Brother Grant, there are other things there in the chapter of separation that, that uh, you don't, uh, you don't uh, follow. Uh, let's read verse 9 of Chapter 22, Thou shalt not sow thy vineyard with divers seed, lest the fruit of thy seed which thou hast sown and the fruit of the vineyard be defiled. Well, I understand that if you went out and you sowed, now let's say you, you divers seed or strain seed, or, or every now and then you'll get, let's say, grass seed, and it'll say 99, 99% pure. That simply means that there's 1% weed seed in it, you know. Now, while it may not be a sin, I will tell you one thing, that if you have gardens like I've had, it's a real abomination for sure. It's better to keep all those things out. Now, I would go on to say this. Well, let's, let's follow the Scripture, and then we'll put it together. Thou shalt not plow with an ox and an ass together. Now, in other words, you have two incompatible situations. You've got a great big, strong, dumb animal. And you've got a little skinny, scrawny, stubborn beast. See? And you try to hook them together. Well, they're just not compatible. See? And so they don't work so well together. All right? Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts as of woolen and linen together. I'll, I'll tell you the truth, you know. And when it comes down to wool, I'd rather not wear it with anything. I'd just rather not wear wool at all. You know. But, you see, 
What God wanted to get into the minds of the Israelites is that that certain things mean a lot to God. To, to the separation, that word separation, that word separation, it was there. Now, you may say, then, Brother Grant, if you're taking chapter 22, verse 5, and you're saying that a woman should not put on a man's garment, nor a man a woman's garment, and you put some interpretation to that, then you've also got to take the other things, like the sowing of the vineyard with diver seeds, and, and the plow of an ox and ass together, and the diver sorts of materials, and you've also got to teach that as being a sin also. Now, that particular logic would be correct if we found evidence in the New Testament that would teach us that that part of the law was not fulfilled. Now, let me just give you an example. Like the Ten Commandments are given to us, okay? There is a commandment, thou shalt not kill. Now, that's under the law, and, and we don't kill. There is also a commandment that says, Now, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days shall thou work, on the seventh day thou shalt rest. Now, the Bible tells us, very plainly in the epistles, especially in the book of Hebrews, that, that the Sabbath was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. If a man asks you, do you honor the Sabbath day? You tell him, I certainly do. And if he says, when? Say, well, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I honor the Sabbath day every day. Because the Bible tells us that it is a type and a shadow of things to come, speaking of the rest that we receive from the Lord when He pours out the Holy Ghost. So do we honor the Sabbath? Yes, we do. See? But now that's fulfilled in the law. But now what about killing? Do we, do we kill people? Now, you cannot find a spiritual application of that. In other words, you can't go someplace, buy a pistol, and go out on the street and start killing people and say, well, that was the laws fulfilled in Jesus. Now, tell me, what makes the difference? What makes the difference is that, that the Scripture finds fulfillment in one, which was a type or a shadow of something. The other was a literal commandment. That was to be observed for the safekeeping of the welfare of mankind. From Him. And of course when we receive the Holy Ghost, we understand that. And there is no teaching in the New Testament that tells us that that Sabbath day should be adhered to. Quite the contrary. That we should have, we we should receive rest in our soul every day, but there's a whole lot in the New Testament murdering and killing and such. Now, then what we do? We take the Old Testament teaching that teaches the separation of sexes, that a man should not put on a woman's garment and a woman should not put on a man's garment. Now you may say, offhand, you may say, what is a woman's garment? A woman's garment, according to the Scripture, will go into the New Testament because this is where most of you are interested in going right away. But basically, a woman's garment is a garment that is designed so that she can keep the right attitude according to her position with her husband and God and one that is in accordance with the Scripture. 
And a man's garment is a garment that he wears that also allows him the same privilege in his particular area in which he is to live. Now, without a shadow of a doubt, women, according to the Scripture, should be feminine. And they should be submissive. Men, on the other hand, should be decisive, they should be strong, they should be masculine. Now, I will say this, and I want to clear this up, because right away somebody says, Oh, now, Brother Grant, you're talking about skirts on women, and you're talking about pants on men. While it may lead to that as we get into the Scripture, and I'm not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes, I will say this. I have seen women with pantsuits on that look more masculine than I have some of the pants that some of the men have worn. And I've also seen pantsuits that look more feminine and modest than some of the dresses that I've seen women wear. See? But you see, the whole tenor of the subject is that that there should be a separation of the sexes. That God wants women to be women indeed. That they should excel to be feminine. And they should excel to be, to be submissive. That men should excel to be strong and masculine and decisive. God even made the structure of their bodies different. He gave a man strong, wide shoulders and narrow hips for picking up loads and such. And a woman basically has slender shoulders and wide hips for bearing children. See, he, he made them different. And he's interested in them being different. And anything that you do that would pervert your nature or cause a breakdown of the sexes becomes an abomination unto God. Now, I could spend all evening talking about this, but I'm going to have to get into the New Testament. So if you would take your Bibles and turn with me to, uh, well, let's, we're going to have to skip some of these. There are passages in Ephesians and Titus. There's passages in 1 Peter, also in 1 Timothy. Let's just turn to 1 Timothy. Will give us a good start. 1 Timothy, the second chapter. First Timothy verse five, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Therefore I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Now notice verse eight. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Now that is given the that is giving to the uh, New Testament church, while it's specifically written for Timothy, a young minister, but it's giving the very nature of man, that may, man should just be strong and decisive. And if you want to go in the marketplace and say, well, glory, hallelujah, and praise the Lord, that's fine. 
But I don't know that that's in place for a woman to go in the marketplace and act like that. Now, while I don't see anything wrong with her saying, praise the Lord, you see, when it says, lift up holy hands everywhere without wrath or doubting, in other words, he is strong, he is decisive, he's not intimidated, his nature's not that way, and so he can walk in the marketplace, and he can walk up to someone like Felix Crowder, and he said, well, hallelujah, Brother Felix, how are you today? Isn't Jesus great? See? All right. In like manner also, notice this. Now, in like manner also. Now, that, that what he's doing here, he's talking about the symbol in which they are to live under. All right. That women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. See? Shamefacedness, that's talking about that, that you should not excel to be a, abrasive and to be a sex symbol. And you know, let, let me say this, and we've got kids here. I wish we had a class for them tonight. But do you know what? That, that the problem, listen, the problem now with the young teenage girls, they should be playing with dolls and we're making sex symbols out of them. You know, you, you pick up a magazine, it's got... What's her name? Brookie Shields or Brooke, Brooke Shields or whatever. Brookie Shields. What was she, 15 years old? And it says, America's teenage sex symbol. Listen, friends, she don't need a lover. She needs a daddy. Do I sound old-fashioned? I'm sure trying to. Really? And you see, that's what's happened with shamefacedness. You know, I don't want my wife coming in here with a sweater on that's so tight it shows her nerves. You understand what I'm saying? What am I? With shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. And, of course, we're not going to be talking about gold and pearls and costly array and such, but there's a whole lot in the Old Testament about ornament, ornamentation and how it relates to the inner attitude. I've got a study on sanctification which I deal with that. Now, as I say, I believe that we're entering in, some of you are right now, are entering into a level of maturity that you're going to find such great hope in God. And you're going to find a, you, there's going to be a spirit that's going to creep over your household that will give you total victory. All right? But which becometh woman professing godliness with good works? Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, silence is speaking about her attitude. That doesn't mean she never opens her mouth. It means that a woman should not be a loud mouth. See? And any time you go in a home where a woman's talking louder than the stereo, the kids, and the louder than the dogs are barking, and louder than anything, then, you know, something's wrong someplace. Now, that doesn't mean she can't... Can't set the kids in order, you know. That doesn't mean she can't 
you know, do what she ought to do. Now, it says that a woman should not teach nor usurp authority over a man. But you see, the key to this word is usurp authority. That means that she takes authority that God does not grant her, neither does her husband grant her, nor anybody else has granted her. And so as a result, you know, she follows in the role of the women's lip movement. See? You follow what I'm saying? All right. Now, what does he do? He goes into this same thing. For Adam was first formed in Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Now, isn't that great? That's what he's saying. I believe the standard of holiness is something that can come and grip you, and you can love it. You can love to dress modestly. And you, you can really like it. All right, Titus, the second chapter, and we're, we're hurrying along here. We'll not be able to cover all of these, but Titus, the second chapter, but speak thou the things which becometh sound doctrine. Let's say that together. Sound doctrine. And, and you may say, you mean you ought to teach all these things? Well, Paul said these things are sound doctrine. He wrote to Titus, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, and charity, and patient. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Oh, let me tell you something. I believe that, that families need to return to a real old-fashioned love for each other. And they need to express that. When John the Baptist came upon the scene, it was prophesied in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi. The Bible says he shall turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. In every revival that has ever been established in any church of any denomination stressed family unity. All right? To love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Now you notice what he says, that the word of God be not what? Blasphemed. Now that's pretty strong language, isn't it? And what you need to do all this, why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. All that do so are an abomination unto the Lord. See? Now, <clears throat> young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Now, we're not talking about the men tonight, but uh, there's a lot in here about that, which we will talk about when I get back, okay? Now, let's turn to First uh, Peter 3, and we'll just read something here. 1 Peter 3. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Who's adorning? Now notice what he says. Who's adorning? 
Let it not be that outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair or the wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel. Now we're talking about the external. Well, what he's talking about is an external adornment that's not scriptural. All right? But let it be the hidden man of the heart. In other words, he says, those things that you hang on the outside, and he named those, he said, that ought not be. But let it be the hidden man of the heart. In other words, you want to dress in such a way that the inner attitude is exposed. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that says, pardon me, but your attitude is showing. See? All right, let's go on. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and a quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, I want you to notice this. Now, the Deuteronomy law that we read back there happened in about 1200 B.C. It was the Moses law. He's going to make reference, however, to Abraham, who lived about 1800 B.C. Now, I don't think I got my dates right there. About 400, about 1600, okay? About 1600. He doesn't only make reference to the Mosaic law, but he points 400 years before Moses. Now, notice what he says. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being in subjection to their own husbands. Now what he's doing, he's saying, let's take an example from way back. Okay? And who does he use? Even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, that was the way in which she respected him. You know, it, it wasn't, uh, old kids, you better straighten up and fly right and get all this picked up because the old man's coming home. It wasn't that kind of stuff. Really. And I'll tell you one thing that makes me want to eat my lunch twice. And that is... When I go in a home and the children refer to their dad as the old man or their mother as the old lady. Oh, that's a pet peeve. And I'll break all your legs and break all your arms and tie them around your head and throw you in the great beyond. You know, not really. I mean, doesn't that sound terrible, though? You know, you go in a home. I've heard kids say, well, my old man this, my old man that. I think that's... In fact, when I was growing up, I couldn't even call the neighbors the old man. I called, I called a, a neighbor we had, old, old man, uh, forget his name now, but anyway, I called him that. And my mother, wow, did she ever get a hold of me? Old man Miller, his name was Miller. I was, was it Miller? Boy, I'll tell you what, she got a hold of me, good and proper. But you see, I think maybe it's that attitude that's led me to a, to a lot of discoveries in the Scripture that a lot of Christians never find. See? So even as Sarah obeyed 
Abraham called him the Lord. Now notice this one. Whose daughters, he's talking about New Testament Christians now, whose daughters ye are as long as you do well. Now we are called the children of Abraham by faith, are we not? Why did Jesus say in John 8, you're the children of Abraham? Because you do the works of Abraham. Now he comes along and says, you, New Testament Christians, you are the daughters of Sarah as long as you do well. Now what's the doing well? As long as you dress yourself or adorn yourself in such a fashion that the meekness and the submission of your attitude is reflected in the way in which you dress. All right. <clears throat> Likewise, ye husband, as, as long as you do well, and are not afraid with any amazement. Now, I like this. You're not afraid. And you know, there's a lot. I mean, there is a lot of intimidation that comes to our ladies today. I want my wife to stand, if she would, and come here. You know, and I'm not just trying to use her as a spectacle before you. But you see, I don't think there's anything wrong with her telling anybody. If they say, well, Mrs. Grant, why do you not cut your hair? I don't see anything wrong with her saying, because I love my husband, and it is a symbol. It is a symbol of his headship in our family. You see, let me tell you something. You see, what the ERA and a lot of the other movements, you may say, are you against the ERA? I explained that. There are certain things of the ERA that I think are fantastic, but I think there are certain things that are very corruptible, abominable, and damnable. I really believe that. And I would not see I would not mind seeing an ERA amendment if, if certain things would be left out of it. In fact, I would support it wholeheartedly. I believe that any woman that's working on a job alongside any man ought to be treated with the same respect of pay as the next person. And I don't think that anybody ought to be discriminated against because of sex or age or color of skin. But knowing all of these things, I believe that if the world ever comes to grips with certain things in the Christian movement, there's going to have to be a whole lot of Christians that speak up. And, and when they ask her, Mrs. Grant, why do you wear a dress? What's wrong with her saying, because I love my husband and I want to be a Bible woman. And I recognize the separation of sexes that was very important to God. Now, let me tell you something. When a woman puts on a pantsuit, I don't care what you say, her behavior changes. Instead of her bending over like this, what she do? She bends over like this. Not all of them, but most of them. And she walks up and does like this. Now, you can't tell me otherwise. I know. You know, there's just, there's no doubt about it. And a lot of people say, well, why can't we, if we're going to go out and we're going to do this and we're going to do this, why can't, because it's immodest for us to wear a dress and do this. And yeah, that's right. But you see, also you understand what, what you're saying when you're saying that. Let me go ahead and put the pantsuit on so I can act the way the men folks act. 
and show myself off the way the men folks show themselves off. And I don't care what you say, and I've heard a lot of people say what's good for the goose is good for the gander, but there's a whole lot of difference in a man without a shirt and a woman without one. And while I don't advocate men going around, please understand, I don't advocate men going around with their shirts off. I'm just saying I believe there is a lot of difference. And the reason why is because a man who is also God's creation as well as a woman, that his entire sexual appetites are driven and motivated by different forces than a woman's. Now, all of us know that. Surely we do. And unless you think it's all right to examine a woman like you'd examine a calf at a fat stock show, then you've also got to admit that it is only feasible if she's going to be feminine that she put her dress on. But I just can't do everything I want to do and wear a dress. That may be true, but maybe you're trying to do things you ought not to do. And so what he is saying, see, the continuity of the subject is taken throughout the Bible. And so what Peter is saying, whose daughters ye are if you do well. Now, let's don't stop there. Likewise, and my wife is still here because my time's up. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. Dwell with them according to knowledge. I've, I need to know something about the opposite sex. I need to know ways in which will make my wife happy and feel good. She knows ways to make me happy and feel good. And so we live for each other. And I understand that it's not her position to put the fence around the property. You know, now I'm not saying a woman out there helping her husband would be out of place, but I understand there's certain things. Now I don't know, maybe my wife has mowed the yard since we've been married, but I don't remember a time. Now, if I go by your house and your wife's mowing the yard, I'm not saying that's wrong. Some women just like to get out, and, and they can be very modest and do that. But but then on the other hand, too, you know, if she does that, you know, I don't stay, I don't bake the cookies. Now, there'd be nothing wrong with me baking the cookies. I don't think. If you ate them, you, you might. <laughs> Wouldn't want, you wouldn't want to come over, <laughs> not for the party, but to, you follow what I'm saying, that, you know, really, and you see, what's happening in our society is they, 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 the world is saying, let's get a mutual agreement. We won't even marry anymore. We'll have a contract. And and I'll be the boss one day, and you be the boss one day, and, and I'll cook the... Uh, almost said cook the dishes. That part of, I'll cook the meals and you wash the dishes and, and I'll mow the yard and you paint the house and so we're just gonna we're gonna shift it all back and forth. Listen, it is a deliberate effort by Satan himself to pervert the very nature of the two different species of the household. When I say species, I guess we're of the same species. But uh, the two different individuals of the household. And what do the children need? The children need the mother and the dad to give the house the balance that it needs. You know, dad can be so rational and so tough 
And mom can be so emotional and tender. Did you know that children growing up are attached to their mother most of the time more than their dad? And they do that until they get to the age in which they can logically deduct things. And then they, they're weaned away from the mom and dad becomes the idol. And then what happens around when they get around 20, then their parents become, both of them, become the focal point of their affections. See how they, they bounce back and forth. See. And it's just that way. Why? Because women basically are emotional. They really are. Men are logical. And we need to understand each other. And the women need to understand the men, and the men need to understand the women. Now, why all of this? Would you stand? This is Really, I've been given an altar call for 11 minutes. That don't count, does it? Okay. Why all of this? Given knowledge and given honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life. In other words, we can inherit the grace of life together. Notice what he says, that your prayers be not hindered. If you're fussing and fighting and striving in the home, and trying to establish the philosophy and who's going to be the head, you think you're going to pray and have victory in Jesus? No. Your prayers are hindered. No. It doesn't start stop there, though. Finally, be all of one mind. That's talking about husband and wife. In other words, the philosophy of the household has to be established. My wife should think the way I think when it comes to the philosophy of the household. We know we, we got to get together. Having compassion one to another. Did you know that there are a lot of men that treat other women better than they treat their wives? I think that's terrible. Love is brethren. Notice what he said, love is brethren. Now, he's still addressing husbands and wives. Why is he saying that? Because of just what I said. Some men have the ability to treat the sisters in the church with greater respect than they treat their own wife. Now, you wouldn't go up to a sister in the Lord and just fly off the handle and give them a piece of your mind just because you're boss. You know? And what he's saying is, he says, love is brethren. In other words, I wouldn't go up to one of you ladies and say, My, what in the world are you doing around here? You know? Well, then why would I want to do my wife that way? Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing. You ever heard of ramping and railing? <clears throat> a sophisticated word for fussing and fighting. But contrarywise, blessing. In other words, don't try to get even. If somebody in the Bible does you wrong, according to the Scripture, what are you supposed to do? Leave your gift at the altar and go to them and be reconciled to them. And the same principle 
is applicable in a husband-wife relationship. If she does me wrong, I should seek ways to bless her. And if I do her wrong, which I do a lot, she seeks ways to bless me. Praise God. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lip that they may speak no guile. I'm all wound up here tonight. And I, I feel good. But basically the principle of the scripture is we need to know each other and understand each other and not penalize each other for our positions. God made me a man. I happen to be one boy in a family of four girls. I did my share of the dishes. I used to iron my own clothes, sew my own pants up, do all the patchwork and everything. I told my, my mother a lot of times, I said, I should have been a girl. But I wasn't. And you know, and even today, there's a lot of things like that that I, I think I can do quite well. There's nothing wrong with a man knowing those things. But when he starts acting sissy and dressing sissy and, you know, you know, really, it's just a, the connotation's not right, you know. Now, I, I'm just going to close my eyes when I say this, but men wearing necklaces and earrings, I don't know how you feel about that, but my, you understand what I'm saying, you know. Praise God. The gay community in Madison is 10,000 strong. You know what they do? They, they, they march our streets. And, and they let everybody know that they're proud they're gay. What's wrong with us being proud we're straight? <clears throat> At least the banner over us is love. Praise God. Let's lift our hands now and worship the Lord. Oh, thank you, God. I love you, God, with my whole heart, my mind, my soul, my strength, God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 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 Hallelujah. I love you, God. Praise God. Oh, praise God. Now, quite a different closing. You men who are here and you women, you may push yourself up to each other there side by side and put your arm around each other and say, I love you, hon. Praise God. And you uh, who do not have a spouse here, now boyfriends and girlfriends can't do that here. I can't say but mothers and daughters, you, you may express your love. And then we want to turn shake hands with all the people who are here. Invite them back to Calvary Gospel Church. It's been a delight to minister to you tonight. And we hope that you will come and be with us again. 
Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. You may consider yourself dismissed. Praise God. It's been a different session, but we trust that God has spoken to you and been good to you.